So last night, I had an argument. Last night, I had an argument with a pastor's wife. And I won. Believe it or not, last night I had an argument, an argument with a pastor's wife, and I won. I never win arguments, and it wasn't my own wife. I had just driven Jeff and Liz Rodriguez and got them checked into their room, and I handed Liz her car keys. Then I stepped outside the glass motion sensor sliding doors. And a few moments later, my phone rang, and it said, Elizabeth Rodriguez. So I picked it up, and she said, Jeff said he's okay. He can still do the message. I said, no way, not a chance. I can hear Jeff in the background Barking, tell him I can do it. I can still do the message. I've already been through it twice. So Liz said, he said that he can do it. He went through it twice. And I said, well, do you even realize where you are right now? You are sitting in the emergency room in Goleta. And Jeff's face has just been lacerated by a champagne bottle. She said, yeah, okay. (laughs) So last night, we were at a wedding. And something involving a sword and a bottle of champagne went terribly wrong. And a freak accident ensued. Jeff was simply videotaping and uh, got some deep gashes, one across his eyebrow, another across his nose. He's healing up just fine, and he's looking way more manly than ever before. (laughs) I probably wasn't going to be appropriate, but I had a a selfie that we took as he's like sprawled out blood all over the place, and we took a little selfie. And uh, it's not appropriate, but I can show you later if you want. But as I rushed them to the hospital, we had like four guys throw Jeff into uh, their small size SUV in the back seat. And Liz is like crouching down, applying pressure upon his face with a towel. Uh, His feet are up on the back seat and he's cracking jokes. He said, I don't even drink. And this happens. Pastors sure know how to party. But what a pastor we have. What a pastor we have. (laughs) A pastor who argues with me from inside the emergency room saying, I still want to preach. I still want to preach. So I told him, how about next week? How about next week? Lord, I thank you so much for Pastor Jeff and the tenacity and drive he has to preach your gospel And spread your love. Heal him quick. Lord, make him whole. Provide for their needs at this time. We entrust him to your care, as always. Amen. So 8 p.m. on Saturday night was not that long ago. 
a little late to start a message. But there's no need to make excuses because God is still going to speak to us today. Because this is his kingdom, this is his church, it's his word, and we know that his word does not come back empty or void. As I walk through, the, you can give a little clap, that's all right. You just got to hold it for later. You got to keep clapping throughout. There's some good stuff that's coming today. I think God's going to speak in a huge way. As I uh, was walking through the ER last night and I was pacing back and forth outside where the ambulance drops off patients, I, I prayed to God, what do you want me to say? And sometime later, the pieces of the puzzle sort of came together. He is stronger than death thought about this, and I realized, okay, well, there's something I can work with. So today, I've adapted a sermon that I gave a couple of years ago at Fuller Theological Seminary in a preaching course, and uh, I actually found it on YouTube, the, the sermon that I had given, and so it was perfect. I could, like, refresh a little bit and, and hear what, what I had spoken before, but here I am looking like a weirdo outside the ER watching a YouTube video of myself, and it's like dark out, and I'm, I don't know what it was. There was a, a police officer who came by with a canine, and they were sniffing out trouble, I guess, and I felt weird just like watching a YouTube video of myself uh, speaking, and so I put it up like, acting like I was talking on the phone to somebody, <laughs> but I was listening to this video, and I can hear on the YouTube video the voice of a man named Dwight Radcliffe. He was a phenomenal, or is a phenomenal African-American speaker and preacher, teacher. He was getting a little Pentecostal during the message that I was giving there at Fuller, saying a bunch of amens and that's rights and praise gods and hallelujahs at the truths that he agreed with. And so I just want to say, feel free to do that today, all right? Feel free. Amen. First service didn't really catch on to that, but uh, <laughs> I had to beg them. You, you do believe in Jesus, right? And they're like, amen, 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 amen. Well, what were you doing at nine o'clock? I mean, cut them some slack, right? Well, every spring, when I was a kid, we used to go, to, go camping at uh, Yosemite National Park, we went every spring just to get away from it all, you know, to explore the great outdoors. And most importantly, but seldom mentioned, we went as a way of paying memory to my uncle who had died there in a tragic rock climbing accident. For me, the place had this sacred reverence to it. I had never met him, but I still felt something. With the enormous redwoods jutting up into the sky, and the incredible mountains scraping their way into the heavens, it pressed upon me a sense of awe and wonder, but even more so, I was gripped by great terror and amazement. There's one stretch along the road where uh, we go through, as we're getting to Yosemite Valley, a very dark tunnel, 
And we kids in the back of the truck, we would hold our breath as long as we possibly could. We're at the point of like nearly passing out when finally we get to this spot which bursting upon the scene with brilliant bright light and the forest was picturesque, painted with trees, cascading waterfalls. It filled us with so much terror and amazement. We felt how small we were. We felt how insignificant we were. And at this moment, filled with this great terror and amazement, and even carrying some of this emotional weight, we could have made a decision to just turn around and drive back home. But every spring each year, though gripped by terror and amazement and carrying this emotional weight, we pressed on further. And so today we press on further. In our new sermon series called He is Stronger, in the face of our doubts, fears, our enemies, and death. It is imperative. It is so important that we truly understand what it means that he is stronger and place this truth deep in our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, everything we are. It is so important to make this a part of our lives. And with this ultimate truth, with this ultimate reality deep inside of who we are, we can truly be unstoppable because our God is truly unstoppable. Amen. I heard one amen. 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 Today, it's all about how he is stronger than death. So if you're able to stand, let's stand as we read from our memory verse today in Psalm 28, verse 7. Let's read these words aloud together. The Lord is my strength and shield. I trust him with all my heart. He helps me and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. And Lord, teach us what that means. That even in the face of death, somehow, somehow we might be able to burst out in songs of thanksgiving. Teach us, Lord, what that looks like. Our hearts are open. We're ready. We want to hear from you, God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead, you can be seated. So this morning, as we explore how he is stronger than death, we're going to walk through the ending of the Gospel of Mark. We will encounter the story of three faithful women, three faithful women who have followed Jesus throughout his entire earthly ministry. And here in the scene, the women are gripped by terror and amazement because something incredible has happened, something groundbreaking has happened, something earth-shattering has happened, something death-defying has happened. In the face of death, something has happened. But what will this terror and amazement lead them toward, to discipleship or fear and lack of faith? Our text this morning is from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. It's the earlier or original ending to the gospel of Mark. And it goes like this. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. 
And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. So ends the gospel of Mark. That's it. Right there, that's the last page. Those are the last words of the gospel of Mark. They said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You may say, well, my Bible has 12 more verses. Like, what about verses 9 through 20? Well, verses 9 through 20 happens to be a a later addition to the gospel that accounts for the resurrection appearance of Jesus. It's a later edition, probably constructed in the second century, compiling works, material from the book of Acts and also from the various gospels, because they weren't comfortable with the gospel of Mark ending on this note, that the women were left in terror and amazement, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. But both endings, we see, are important, and both are canonized by the church, But today, I want us to consider closing out the gospel as the earliest manuscripts would have us, abruptly with the three women fleeing from the tomb in great terror and amazement without even seeing the resurrected Jesus. Verses one and two says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, They went to the tomb. Now, the women didn't go to the tomb to witness the resurrection of Jesus. They went to anoint the body, the corpse of Jesus. How do I know that? Because that's what it says. (laughs) To apply these spices and oils would be a way to try and mask the emitting odor from this rotting corpse to preserve the body. This was an act of great honor. It would be the last act of honor that they could pay to Jesus. This act of paying great respect and honor to Jesus would make them, though, religiously and ritually unclean. Maybe you recall Numbers 19.11. Probably not, because no one reads Numbers 19.11, unless you love the Old Testament, like me. Whoever touches a human corpse will be unclean for seven days. And these women decide, we're going to cross this boundary. We're willing to be unclean for seven days to anoint the body of Jesus. What great determination and great honor we see with these women. But at the same time, what great inability to comprehend the words that Jesus spoke about his resurrection. Right? 
You would think, well, well they're gonna go and they're gonna see the resurrection because that's what Jesus talked about. That's what he told them over and over, that he would rise from the dead. But we can't blame them. We can't blame them. Death in their socio-historical context was regarded as sovereign. Death was all-powerful. It was the end of all things. There's no turning back. That's it. It's final death is permanent. At man camp this weekend, there was a, a man I was talking with who was getting choked up, his eyes turning bloodshot red. And he said that he has a really hard time dealing with losing someone. He just can't, can't deal with it. He has a hard time losing someone to death or to divorce. And I said, rightly so. I don't think it gets any easier. To tell you the truth, maybe it's so hard, death and divorce, because we were never intended to deal with it. That death and divorce were never in the plan. So it's natural that we, like the women here, would struggle with it. Well, when they arrived at the tomb and they saw that this large stone had been rolled back, and as they entered, they were startled when they saw a young man or a divine being of sorts there. They were gripped with a sense of fear, perhaps great terror and amazement, and this angelic being speaks. It says in verse six, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. The Greek says, egerthe. Let's talk about egerthe. Christian faith rests on this proclamation, egerthe, that he is risen. It's something we say every Easter service, every morning, he is risen, and then everyone else says, he is risen indeed. It's so cute, right? And uh, we, one year, Jeff and I were doing high school and junior high ministry. We thought it was really cool and hip when we would say, he has risen, to have the students say, he has risen for show. <laughs> we got reprimanded in trouble for that. <laughs> Sentenced to hard labor in Siberia, something, it was not good. Like, wow, how could you desecrate God's word by doing something like that? We're just having fun, I don't know. But Agarethe, he has risen. It means that Jesus has been raised from a state of death. And the sovereign, all-powerful, no turning back, the final permanence of death has been shattered. The new dawning day has broken upon the scene and light has shattered the strongholds of sin and death once and for all. The empty tomb and the resurrection, it shows that death has been emptied of its power. Death has been emptied of its terror, and the empty tomb is a symbol of the resurrection of Jesus that he has overcome. You know, some of you Christians, you like to wear crosses around your neck, right? Well, I think in addition to the cross, you might as well wear an empty tomb, because death has been emptied of its power, and resurrection is the victory over death power and the fear that it injects into human life. Well, the angelic being said to the women in verse 7, go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. 
Now, sight is a recurring theme. It's something that happens over and over again. This word gets repeated over throughout the Gospel of Mark, especially in the ending. Sight is a big deal. So let's talk about seeing things. As the women are mourning and approach the tomb, verse 4 expresses that they looked up and they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Verse five says, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man. Verse six, this young man or angel said to the women, do not be alarmed, you are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. Then he said, look, there is the place they laid Jesus. And then he instructed the women in verse seven, tell Peter and the disciples that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. Things that are repeated are important. Things that are repeated are important. Things that are repeated are important. This repetition of sight, it works to communicate the urgency of seeing Jesus, the physical resurrected body of Jesus. But what's crazy is that the author of the Gospel of Mark never tells us of the women actually seeing the resurrected Jesus. Instead, verse 8, So they went out and fled from the tomb for terror. The Greek says traumas. It means shaking, trembling, quaking, fear, and amazement, ecstasies. That's where we get the English word ecstatic. It means to be beside oneself, flabbergasted, or completely stupefied, overwhelmed, astonished, amazed. This quaking fear and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Think of a time when you were amazed, when you were astounded, dumbfounded in awe and wonder, shock. What did it feel like? Maybe it was as you walked down the aisle. Or maybe it was as you saw her walking down the aisle. Maybe it was as you gave birth. Or maybe it was when you fell in love or saw a prayer answered. Maybe it was as you worshiped God or dropped into a nice big barrel. Maybe it was as you drove a a fast car, of course, under the legal speed limit. Was your heart racing? Were your hands shaking? What was going on inside of you? How did you feel? Standing on the valley floor, being surrounded by these towering trees and mountains, it it takes the words right out of my mouth to the, the point where I can only pretty much say one thing, and that's, whoa. And then I'm left in utter silence because I realize my inability, my finiteness, my smallness, I am silenced by terror and amazement just as the women were silenced by terror and amazement, but the difference is glaring. My terror and amazement brought me closer to, not further from. 
Terror and amazement, it silences the women, it draws them away, and it highlights the reality of their failure, their inability. And Mark shows us just as the disciples failed, the gospel of Mark is all about the disciples completely failing. The disciples failed, but so too the women fail to relay the message. And sure, they must have spilled the beans somewhere along the line. They must have told the disciples and told the other people about the resurrection of Jesus. The tomb is empty, but the author of the Gospel of Mark is expressing something very different and something very important here, that the ending is not resolved. The ending is not resolved because no one in the Gospel of Mark who has been with Jesus is willing to carry the message and continue his mission. In other words, can anyone be a faithful disciple? The religious leaders rejected him. His own family thought he was absolutely insane. The disciples fled and the women were silenced, but who remained? Who remained in those events when everyone else left? In Gethsemane, when the disciples fell asleep, who stayed awake? Who was there? In the betrayal of Jesus by Judas, who was there? At Peter's denial, who was there? When all the disciples fled as Jesus hung on the cross, who was there? When the women were silenced at the tomb, Who was there? Well, you were. You were there. You, the reader, were there. The Gospel of Mark ends abruptly as the narrator breaks off the story and leaves the readers who may have thought that the story was about somebody else It leaves us readers with a decision to make. Will we follow Jesus? Will we carry the message and continue his mission? Will the terror and amazement that we experience draw us into a life of discipleship or will fear diminish our faith? Will we, not having seen the resurrected Jesus, be able to pursue a life of discipleship? Even in the face of death, even in the midst of terror and amazement, is it possible? Well, absolutely, absolutely, because faith and conversion and discipleship, they don't rest on resurrection appearances, but on the word of promise. The victory over death at a moment in time when death seems sovereign and all-powerful And the ending is abruptly left open because you and I are involved in this ending. We participate in this good news and in the sharing of this salvation and victory to all. For there is an unwritten page left for each of us to write our record of what Jesus has said and done in and through us. And my hope is today 
that your page begins, he is stronger than death. Therefore, I. You're gonna clap right there, but you don't even know what I'm saying yet. You're like, there's a conjunction. Uh-oh, we better stop clapping. We don't know. Therefore, I'm gonna give all my money, you know, to God, right? <laughs> but I think it's powerful. He is stronger than death. Therefore, I. Therefore, I what? He is stronger than death, therefore I can. He is stronger than death, therefore I am. He is stronger than death, therefore I will. He is stronger than death, therefore I see. He is stronger than death, therefore I feel. He is stronger than death, therefore I know. He is stronger than death, therefore I trust. He is stronger than death, therefore I believe. He is stronger than death, therefore I hope. I hope. Well, why? You just talked about the women not seeing Jesus and how we're supposed to believe that he was raised from the dead, how he is stronger than death. Well, why? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse five says, we don't preach about ourselves. Instead, we preach about Jesus Christ as Lord. And we describe ourselves as your slaves for Jesus' sake. God said that light should shine out of the darkness. He is the same one who shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in clay pots that the awesome power belongs to God and doesn't come from us, we are experiencing all kinds of trouble. But we aren't crushed. We are confused, but we aren't depressed. We are harassed, but we aren't abandoned. We are knocked down, but we aren't knocked out. We always carry Jesus' death around in our bodies so that Jesus' life can also be seen in our bodies. We who are alive are always being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that Jesus' life can also be seen in our bodies that are dying. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We have the same faithful spirit as what is written in scripture, I had faith and so I spoke. We also have faith and so we also speak. And I love this right here. We do this because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and he will bring us into his presence along with you. All these things are for your benefit as grace increases to benefit more and more people. It will cause gratitude to increase, which results in God's glory. So we aren't depressed, but even if our bodies are breaking down on the outside, the person that we are on the inside is being renewed every day. Our temporary minor problems are producing an internal stockpile of glory for us that is beyond all comparison. We don't focus on the things that can be seen, but on the things that can't be seen. The things that can be seen don't last, but the things that can be seen are eternal. So God, we fix our eyes upon you today. 
We believe and trust and know that you are stronger than death. We have hope because we are a people who are living in hope. And it's all because of you, Jesus, because of your love and your goodness and your truth, your mercy, your grace. But Father, I pray that someone in here today is struggling with this, which I think we all might be. I know that the promise of salvation is enough to overcome the fear of death. And I pray if someone in here today wants to experience you for the first time, to experience your salvation, that they would pray, Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you died on that cross for my sin, but you rose again. The tomb was empty because you are stronger than death. So come into my life, become my king. I wanna follow you all the days of my life. I wanna dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.